0: Good AT, Here we are, season two, and uh, as people would have heard, we have music.
1: Yeah, I know. The podcast is so grown up that we have theme music.
0: Yeah, the podcast has grown up. We're not.
1: No, not not at all. I mean, you can tell by the music we we picked.
0: We, we did spend a little bit of time, um, I guess, identifying a piece of music, and we thought that that one just spoke us.
1: It did indeed. We really wanted to have Jesus of Suburbia by Green Day, we wanted that to be our theme music, so jump onto Spotify or or YouTube and have a bit of a play of that. If you don't know that song, yeah, we couldn't afford that. So this one cost us seventeen dollars.
0: It did, but we did get fifty percent off, didn't we? So it was thirty four.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yep.
0: It. I felt like I was back in Koorong digging around the bargain bin.
1: Yes, indeed. Koorong <laughs> or Word? Uh, which Which did you spend more time in? Did you spend more time in Koorong or did you spend more time in Word?
0: I was Koorong, because uh, Koorong was closer to home and, and Word was a little bit of a trek away. Um, but I did go to Word every now and then, but Kurong definitely. And every now and then I, I ventured into Keswick.
1: You know, later on, I became much more Coorong-y, but that was more trying to reflect what sort of Christian I was mm-hmm. because Word was still very Pentecostal. And, you know, I don't know if you know, but Word Bookstore was very much tied to the AOG. They were an AOG or a group of AOG families all the same surname but you know they were a group of families and um i think they were originally called like the gospel film something or something and then they yeah they sort of became word oh
0: there you go so the surname wasn't word obviously
1: no, no, the surname was not word. But, yeah, so I became more kurongi as well because that was where you went. And there was there was another one which was like this Lutheran bookstore, and that's where you went if you really wanted to go and get sort of academic and smaller liberal stuff, you know, and you'd sort of branch out and go down there. It was almost like doing the wrong thing.
0: Yeah, did you have to, like, step over the threshold of hell to enter the store?
1: No, but you had to believe in um, the real presence of the Eucharist to actually get in.
0: Yeah, and so I just couldn't have got in um, until later on. Obviously, you were ahead of me in that one.
1: Let's talk about what we're going to talk about today, which is Christian contemporary music or CCM. So it's kind of part two of our music episode. We sort of did a more general talk about music and we talked about Hillsong and praise and worship and all that kind of stuff. But this one is focusing specifically on CCM. And one of the things that we're going to do is we're not allowed to actually play any sort of copyrighted music onto the podcast or it'll get taken down, Apple won't let it, Spotify won't let it, you know, no one will let it play if we do that. Mm. So we wanna try something a little bit different. And whilst we are certainly gonna have, you know, conversations about bits and pieces, later in the podcast, what we're gonna do is we're actually going to ask you to stop playing the podcast and then click on the links that we're gonna provide in the show notes, right? So you go into your podcast app and you'll see some links there to some YouTube clips. And you're supposed to actually stop and play those those songs and then come back to us. And we'll talk as if we've all just heard the song. We're gonna do exactly the same thing. We're gonna play the song, have a bit of a listen, and then come back and talk about it. So we want you to do the same. So while you don't have to do that, Listening in today you will miss out on what we're trying to sort of achieve which is to hear the song immerse yourself in the song and then we sort of have a conversation about that song
0: yeah it's pretty cool it's a little bit like reading a story to your kids and it goes ding when you go to turn the page
1: it would be good wouldn't it if we could actually play the songs for you and make this all you know nice and seamless but we thought this is the best way around it because we want you listening to feel like you are part of the conversation and hearing the music otherwise it's going to be a bit disjointed for you so a little bit of work for you but please you know try and play along
0: play along at home for those playing at home here you go for me music I think we've spoken about this before has been a massive influencer in my life music is something that from from a very young age I've really identified with and it's something that More than books, probably, it had been a lot of the time, Is that speak to me, books speak to me more now, but certainly music is something that speaks to me a lot. So Finding Two, they're not my two favourite songs, but they're two that came to mind that spoke to me.
1: Yeah, yeah, same same for me. Remembering that we're excluding praise and worship from this, we're excluding, you know, sort of church music and music in the church, and we're focusing specifically on CCM, Christian Contemporary Music. Who are your standout bands like who was who were the bands that you that you listened to a lot that you returned to or that had an impact on you who were they
0: yeah look i mean there's lots for me i think but um definitely dc talk was a big one really liked whiteheart i mean in the early days petra because it was sort of seen as one of those bridging bands they did sort of identify a little bit with the heavy rock yeah. You know, light metal scene that that bridged into the non-christian christian Christian scene i liked a lot of alternative type stuff my brother had a friend in a band called the rockin rabbis and i just loved it It was a little bit of um probably post-punk sort of stuff that was a bit of fun mad at the world i think they only brought out maybe three albums but they were all pretty awesome steve camp and Stephen Curtis Chapman, even to this day, Stephen Curtis Chapman is someone that I play particularly with his later stuff. Um, there was a particular album, I can't remember the name of it, where he talks about was a horrible situation in his life where their adopted daughter actually got run over and killed in their driveway by their son. And he speaks about the the, the album is a journey of his grief and his relationship and connections. So, really full on but they're probably some of my faves that come to mind straight away how about yours
1: well when i was in the revival center i think i mentioned this before but amy grant got through the revival center filter and somehow we all got exposed to Amy Grant. And so Amy Grant straight ahead and, you know, angels remember angels watching. And and that was a Christian television ad as well. I remember Striper was another one. I didn't listen to them, but I'd heard a lot about them through, through the mainstream media and Michael W Smith sort of filtered through a little bit but largely in the revival center we were sort of oh and Keith Green got through a little bit through the revival center too but after the revival center in my um great big AOG time I can tell you there was definitely Petra but sort of Petra phase two so not that not that early Petra stuff but when they became a lot more heavy and they got a new lead singer he had sort of long blonde hair John somebody I think his name was Carmen Was another one that was big, and you know we'll come back and talk about him in a minute. But um, yes, Steve Camp as well. I think we sort of shared that Steve Camp thing. DC Talk was another big one. Rich Mullins, Keith Green, as I said, I really got into Michael Card as well. Oh
0: yeah, forgot about yeah. So Michael
1: Card. Card was this sort of folksy, hippie sort of sound, but very, very explicit in its religiosity. Um yeah, yeah so I, re- I really liked him. And then there was another band, just as I was sort of leaving Pentecostalism, I got exposed to this group of sisters called Out of Eden. Yeah. And they were actually released on Goatee Records, which is Toby Mack and the Mac is back yeah. no slack. Um he yeah, he put um them out and they were they were fantastic. They were yep. just so, so fresh and really different to the kind of stuff that we were used to. They they were they were my bands. But I think one thing I wanted to point out is for me and this comes back to what sort of Pentecostal were you, were you a B or were you a T? Mine were extremely explicit, extremely explicit in their religion. And yes. if if you were sort of singing about God and life, and I wasn't interested, I wanted to hear Jesus, Holy Spirit, evangelism, Acts 9 or whatever you know it had to be really sort of explicit and biblical and if you think about it that's that's who they were Carmen Petra Steve Camp even DC Talk were really quite explicit compared to a lot of the others Rich Mullins Keith Green etc so yeah all those bands were really really explicit and and for me it wasn't just about the music it had to it had to tell me stories it had to it had to preach to me as well.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think music, it depended where I was at in my journey as to what ones I was connected to at the time. But definitely you know, Keith Green, Rich Mullins, the same. Also Charlie Peacock, they were definitely standouts for me. So at times where I was seeking a bit more depth, I think I would gravitate towards those ones that were a bit more explicit in their Christianity for sure.
1: Yeah, it sort of makes you wonder that you know what's the recipe for success because there were bands like Audio Adrenaline and Newsboys and and remember we're we're talking 90s right so forgive us mm. if if you weren't around in that time but Audio Adrenaline and Newsboys and these others and Rebecca St James I knew the names and when I tried to listen to their music I just didn't connect it just didn't it just didn't speak to me and maybe it's because I was too much of a fundamentalist and I wanted hardcore religiosity, or maybe it was because it was just the type of music was just a little too bland. I, I, yeah. I can't tell you anymore, but I think at the time my mentality was it has to say Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Yeah. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Yeah. And if it didn't, it wasn't Christian and I wasn't interested, I might as well be listening to soul to soul or I might as well be listening to matchbox 20 or whatever.
0: Yeah, and uh, again, there's a point of difference for us. <laughs> surprise, surprise. But um, I love the Newsboys. I, I listened to about three or four of their albums only about a month ago because I'd forgotten about them and they came up in a conversation. I went, ah, Newsboys, of course. Um, and, you know, they were plagued with a bit of controversy later in their career with having to, I think, you know, we spoke about this before, Michael Tate from DC Talk is now the lead singer because their lead singer got into a bit of strife. I, I, I just really liked their their music and I connected with it.
1: And and I think Kevin Max went and joined Audio Adrenaline for a little while. I think he became the lead singer of Audio Adrenaline.
0: It's very incestuous, isn't it, the old CCM scene?
1: What what better way than grow your audience than bring a member of DC Talk in, I guess? Yeah,
0: this is true. And, you know, I think Kevin Max, you know, he's someone I still connect with. And I think both of us, we were listening to this just the other day, weren't we? Stereo yep. B.
1: Indeed. Mm. So I've got a question for you. Who did you see live? Right, talking Australian acts and also international or US acts, who did you actually see live?
0: Yeah, look, there was a few that came to mind, and I probably won't remember them all, but I saw Carmen, White Hart, Steve Camp, DC Talk, In the Silence, and after In the Silence uh, finished, one of their lead singers, John Dixon, went off and went solo and saw John Dixon a couple of times. Roma Waterman, which you and I have definitely shared and steve grace they they were the ones that i can remember i'm sure there was more but uh, we're talking 25 to 30 years ago
1: i saw carmen as well i yeah. can't remember this him twice i think it might have only been once and then there was also dc talk and i want to come back to this in a minute because you've got to tell us your stories about working with with mm. dc talk and whiteheart definitely roma saw roma steve grace do you remember taylor it was those four sisters
0: oh yes yes yes
1: Yep. Yep. So saw them a number of times, actually. And then um, also there was a guy named Steve Johnson, and he was in some heavy metal band, some Christian heavy metal band that sort of folded. And then later on, he sort of went solo and did some performances um, here and there. So I saw him a a few times as well. But really, in terms of international acts, it was really only Carmen and DC Talk. But on that note, I want to open up for you because you worked with with their tour. So this is pretty cool.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think it must have been maybe, I I don't know, 93, 94. I can't remember the the exact years, but White Hart and DC Talk came out and toured together. And I actually think it was around the time of Youth Alive that they tried to potentially snag them for that. I, I can't exactly remember. But there was probably three or four of us that were asked to essentially chaperone them around our city and just make sure that they were able to be transported here and there and also help transport some of their gear. I mean, some of these these tours, I think, were done on a shoestring, trying to fit within the budgets of the promoters bringing them in. So, yes, yeah, sort of hung out with them. It was only for a few days, but um, it was it was really interesting. And it, I can contrast DC Talk with Whiteheart, and this is no judgment, it's just um the experience I had. But... DC Talk, you know, they were quite huge at the time. It was around the time Jesus Freak coming out or about to come out. And that was, you know, a really big, big album for them. They were quite aloof and they didn't want a great deal to do with you. Um, Toby, Toby Mac a little bit more, like he acknowledged you, but I found um, Kevin Max was... He was very loof and I think he's um he's quite an alternative soul as well and quite shy. He came across really, really shy. Uh, Michael Tate, you know, acknowledged again, but they didn't really want anything to do with you outside of the job that you were doing. Whereas Whiteheart, the whole band would just sit down and talk with you and they'd be talking about normal, everyday stuff, about how they miss their families, about you know, how they loved Australia and what they, their observations of Australia and Australians were and and was a really, really different sort of scene. I remember one thing in particular where Toby Mack had asked to be dropped off in the city and he'd, he'd been, you know, they obviously had back-to-back engagements on their tour and it was flat out and he asked to get dropped off and asked everyone if they knew a good massage place. Dropped him off pointed him in the direction of a couple of masseuses. And all of a sudden the rumours were flying around the group that he'd potentially gone to a brothel and i was and i remember thinking at the time what the hell what are people thinking when someone can't even go for a massage and they wanted some time to themselves like and it was ridiculous and it bounced around and i heard it from a few different people that that sort of fed in um that had nothing to do with that process the rumors that got out there and i felt so sorry for the guys like he couldn't do anything without getting some accusations thrown at him and then I thought to myself maybe that's why they don't actually engage with people too much because they just can't be bothered with the shit
1: yeah um, but also they just can't win right like you're damned if you do damned if you don't I mean absolutely. the guy asks for a massage that turns into massage parlor and yeah. the next thing you know everyone's thinking that Toby Mac got no slack <laughs>
0: <laughs> on a dc track that's jacked beyond comprehension right. i believe that i, believe I mentioned to that, mention that. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> it's unbelievable but yeah it, it was really really quite sad but it was it was interesting at that time because you know i was fanboying both of the bands because they were within our scene they were huge they're a massive you know worldwide known band and you know won many you know christian music awards and uh, I think DC Talk even went on to win Grammys from Yeah yeah they
1: went they went mainstream definitely yeah. and I think in New Zealand I think Jesus Freak actually made like top 10 or something in the mainstream not even just US
0: I don't know if anyone has seen the live version of it, um, but when they perform it, and I'm sure there's footage on YouTube or wherever, but when they perform it, they're throwing themselves around. It's incredibly high energy. You know, there's one stage, Toby Mac is climbing up a a lighting tower, looking like he's going to jump and just really getting into it. And the audience goes absolutely crazy. I remember a friend turning to me during that song, and, and it was at the live show of going, I actually think this is satanic. And I remember thinking at the time, what the hell? What is wrong with you that you're thinking this is satanic because of it being high energy? But they went on about it after the show and just saying, I think they're taking the band in the wrong direction. It's obvious, by the way, they're performing on stage that they've become worldly. It was just ridiculous, people's interpretation of what's happening.
1: Well, can I reflect on that? Because I was so enmeshed in church and immersed in church, and I was in that whole, you know, don't listen to worldly music sort of thing. And yeah. then later on, and, and I love that album. I mean, it was just a great album, and, and like you, I still listen to it today. But later on, I turned on Smells Like Teen Spirit by Nirvana yeah. and went, oh, it's a fucking ripoff. Yeah. Oh, that's just complete. You know, and typical to Christian music, right? Let's grab something that's successful and make a Christian version so that, you know, our, our little darlings don't have to listen to this, you know, this evil stuff. And it was a total, absolute ripoff. And so, you know, when you say what a great song, part of me goes, yeah, but another part of me goes, yeah, but it's a total ripoff. And they're amazing performers, but there was no creativity in that song because it was a total rip off of Nirvana.
0: Yeah, look, I think it was the, the grunge sound that was around at the at, at time, like early 90s. Oh, but
1: even the 90s. beginning of the song. I mean, if you, you know, we're not going to play it here, of course, but if you listen to the very beginning, compare the very beginning of Smells Like Teen Spirit to the very beginning of uh, Jesus Freak. And it is exactly the same song that they have completely ripped off. Yeah, there's
0: guitar distortion plenty. I mean, music rips each, each other off all the time. I remember Jet, the Australian band, when they came out, everyone going, oh, my God, they're just ripping off Led Zeppelin. They possibly were, but they were still great. But I, I think you're right. Look, I, I think it is, some of it is about bringing that music in so people don't have to look outwards. But gee, I loved Nirvana too and still love Nirvana. Oh, yeah, so yeah, yeah, pro- yeah. probably why Brilliant. I identified with that music too.
1: I played both to my son. I yep. said, um, here, have a because he, he knows Nirvana, he knows Nirvana really well. I've you know indoctrinated him with that. I said, have a listen to this, this song and I played him. And he just goes, Oh dad, oh dad, right. he was so disappointed <laughs> in, in the blatant rip-off. But nevertheless, I yeah, I, I can't let that go because I just think it's it's just so blatant. But you know, coming back to the concert, I can remember, and and I must have seen Whiteheart as well because I went on. That's where I saw DC Talk was on that tour. So I, I obviously have seen Whiteheart, but I, you know, I don't know, blanked it out. But um, yeah. I remember Kevin Max back then. He was called Kevin Smith, and he was yeah. running around the stage, preening like literally preening yeah. and pouting and putting his lips together like he's kissing and staring off the side of the stage, like I've never seen anybody do that in any sort of performance that I've yeah. seen of, of a band. he It was like he was fashion modeling, striker pose, voguing, as Madonna would have called it, <clears> truly. <throat> and just watching it and just going, and I was with my girlfriend at the time and we're just watching it and we're looking at each other just going, what's this? <laughs> you know, like it's, it's not even from a world, in inverted commas, worldly perspective was it weird, but from a Christian perspective, it was like, hold on where's Jesus? And and I sort of feel for these guys as well, because you can't win. And that's what we were saying a minute ago, right? We're all sitting there. And if they're not Jesus enough, then we're going, oh, they're not good. And if they're too Jesus and not hip and worldly enough, we're going, oh, you know, so the poor guys, it must've been really, really hard for them.
0: Oh, it'd be an absolute killer. You know, whilst, whilst
1: becoming millionaires from the oh, music. That's right. It must've been terrible.
0: It's just horrible. But but they also they have really gone off in very different directions, haven't they? The three members of DC Talk with Newsboys. Um Toby Max done a fair bit of stuff himself. And then Kevin Max is um it's incredibly deep music.
1: Yeah, well, very arty, which is that that preening and that posing and everything, like you said, it's a very sort of arty expression. And I think that's what he did. And some of his albums got really, really weird. And yeah. I only just re-embraced his stuff sort of more recently. So even his 2000, 2001, 2002, that sort of music, which I was completely away from church at that time, I went back and I could hear a real Smiths, the Smiths influence Uh in his music. Like it's very, very clear. And even the way he sort of does some sort of Morrissey vocals. And so not Jesus, 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 hey. So I would have hated it if he'd released it in the 90s, but now I can really appreciate it. Who Who have you dug up?
0: In terms of contemporary Christian music?
1: Who who have you gone back to and, you know, happily put on your Spotify playlist?
0: DC Talk's on there. Newsboys are definitely on there after I had that little session of of listening to four albums in a row. They seem to pop back up on my feed all the time. Kevin Max a lot, actually. I listen to Kevin Max a lot because of the depth of it. I tried listening to Whiteheart oh, a couple of months ago. It didn't work for me. I just, I yeah, didn't relate anymore. I thought it was good music. It was soft soft sort of metal sort of stuff in it but yeah I, it, it didn't connect with me and I can see why I connected with it back then but those yeah. other core three are probably the ones I did listen to some Rich Mullins reasonably recently and also Charlie Peacock as well Stephen Curtis Chapman as I said before I think it's Beauty Will Rise is the name of that album so if you haven't listened to it I Look, it is very Jesus, Jesus, God, God, but I think the story of it, and it's a, a thematic album which starts in such a incredibly deep place of grief and it takes you to a place of hope. Um, I've listened to it when I've been going through shit in my own life and it's really helped me, although I don't call out to Jesus when I'm in trouble these days, it's certainly helped me with journeying through those times. So how about yourself?
1: Yeah, I think you know as I said for the longest time I couldn't listen to Christian music it would just trigger me in fact I I hated it I gotta say I was just like nah this is shit you know it doesn't matter how good it was I'm not interested closed myself off to church I closed myself off to Christianity and in doing so I also closed myself off to Christian music but more recently and even we're just talking within the last 12 months I started to listen to this Christian music again but not taking it literally, you know, it's like, it's like being a sort of progressive Christian and reading the Bible and not taking it literally. I think you can listen to the music and regardless of how it was presented then, or how it was intended then you can listen to it metaphorically if you want. So I started listening to it actually, it was actually Petra. Believe it or not, it was that really heavy rock Petra stuff. So yeah. there I am driving in my car, listening to this, you know, Petra stuff, and and literally got my fingers, you know, in the in that what we used to call the sign of the devil going along because I really like that kind of music. So I'm rocking on to Petra, but then I I reopened DC Talk through 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 my Spotify playlist and Rich Mullins especially. I mean, Rich Mullins is so poetic, and you know his music when I'm listening to it now and realizing. He probably wasn't seeing the world as I did, even though I was listening to his music and interpreting it through my, you know, fundamentalist lens. I'm not convinced he was such a fundamentalist when I listen to his music now. No. You know, I I really think he was actually a a bit of an artist, a musician with a a Jesus influence, but yeah, really, really, really good. And, but you know, the other one that got me, but I was not into it, in the church, but I didn't realize I was getting tricked into it, was Creed. Do you remember Creed? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that that Pearl Jam sort of rip-off band, right? And I really liked their music. They used to play on the radio. They were Christians. And when you listen to the music now, I don't know, I just was blocking it out, I guess, but you listen to the music now and it's like, you know, streets of gold and with arms wide open and all this kind of stuff, it's Mm. totally Jesus. And yet I was listening to them thinking they were secular Meanwhile, yeah. they were full-on Christian. Oh, I would have burnt their albums to the ground, I tell you, if I'd known. <laughs> but but I love them. They're they're still great. Really good band, in spite of the fact that they're a Pearl Jam ripoff. They're, they're a really yeah. good
0: band. And they slightly sound like Nickelback.
1: I get the Nickelback hate, but I don't hate them like everybody else does.
0: Either do I. I, I quite like them. But, not, you know, they're not on my playlist, but I don't cringe when I hear them. I think it's just become a little bit of a um something that's caught on to hate Nickelback. If you dig yeah, into it, yeah, they're, they're decent. But the great thing about music too is an artist can write a song and perform it and mean it one particular way. You can take it another way and interpret it through your own eyes and it's still really valuable. So even though well, it might good art. not be. That
1: that's is good great
0: art. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and I think that's really common with songs that we do that. Um, you know, quite often I will Google and uh, say, oh, what does this song mean? And it's completely different to what I have interpreted it because I've seen it obviously with my own lenses and baggage, but it's still incredibly meaningful. So that's the beauty of music.
1: I agree. So look, let's jump back a little bit before we harp on too much about where we are now. What purpose did Christian contemporary music, so again, not praise and worship, not choruses, what purpose did christian contemporary music play in your life in relation to your faith back in the 90s
0: oh it's massive as we've spoken about many times i connect with music music is i'm a, a quite an emotional being um and definitely the emotional connection of music is something i lean upon but also that ability to interpret life through song um is definitely something that is important to me so with non-Christian music being so incredibly important to me, I had to have something to lean upon which built my faith because I was told very strongly that you cannot continue to listen to secular music and expect your faith to grow. Um, and as we've spoken about in our music episode part one, you know, i burnt and broke most of my non-Christian music. So I had to rebuild that and I had to rebuild it within a Christian context to be able to build my faith. So incredibly important to me it was a cornerstone of my life how about yourself
1: oh well I think it it reinforced my faith so that's why I meant why I said I should say that I was wanting music that was Jesus 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 hey you know God in your life devotional so definitely it was a reinforcement of my beliefs and so I was constantly we used to talk about you know feeding yourself on the word so being able to listen to music that was explicitly Christian i back then would have interpreted as building up my spirit in the lord brother that's what i was doing by listening to that kind of music but actually what i was doing was it was a reinforcement of dogma dogmatic yeah. beliefs so so there was that and and that was a big part of it but i think also i used it quite prayerfully especially yeah. a lot of that sort of you know soft who music i mm. would often you know turn the lights off and listen to that Christian music in the same way a lot of people use praise and worship, I guess. But um, praise and worship to me was always, it sounded like fucking Disneyland to me. It just wasn't my scene. <laughs> so I would I would listen to this stuff and I would sort of meditate on it, listen to the words, you know, going back to what I said before, but also it would bring me into a mood, into yeah. a place. Um, so, yeah, so I'd use it prayerfully. But I think the other thing is it was just a way for me to express my musical preference or to engage my musical preferences without being locked into, you know, banjos or keyboards or, like I said, sort of Disneyland kind of music. I don't know if you've noticed, but if you go to Disneyland and go to some of their shows, it sounds like that Hosanna Praise and Worship live events that you used to hear on the tapes. It totally was, right? Just this, this American middle class kind of funk but no it was this musical preferences of mine could be expressed could be tapped into because whilst i really like my heavy stuff still do to this day i also was really open to rap you know i mean even that sort of dc talk sort of dancey stuff was really good so it served it served those three purposes for me really
0: yeah no it's definitely a powerful thing where would the world be without
1: music hey you know one i want to talk about i want to ask you about is carmen Yeah, right. because I do have a bit of a story around Carmen. I I was thinking about it before the show and I was thinking if you went to a Las Vegas dinner and concert show for Christians, that would be Carmen, wouldn't it? I mean, that's exactly what he was.
0: 100%, 100%. I saw Carmen very, very early in my Christian journey. I, I reckon it was 1990 or 91 and it was quite a big show. It was a packed hall and I I didn't know how to actually take it because, you know, there was a lot of prayer and there was a lot of, you know, bow your head now and head back up now, bow your head now. And and it was very powerful sort of music and he was incredibly talented. But you're right, he was a showman.
1: Yeah, he was. And uh, did did he ever marry? I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure if he ever married, but he definitely wasn't married in the 90s and everything. And there was a bit of a rumour. That he was one of these guys that had, and and please, you know, no one sue me. I think I think he's passed away, hasn't he, Pete?
0: Um, I know he had cancer, and I'm pretty sure he did die last year.
1: Yeah, which is, which is not good. But the the rumor was that he was one of these um, the, uh, celibate celibate gay oh, yeah. Christians, right? And yeah. and that's why he wasn't married, or or you know, or maybe it was just more about his, you know, being married to his music. But I knew a guy. Yeah. I met an American guy who had actually been in his band yeah. and the stories that he told and maybe this is just his perspective, Brian. Right? And he was just, you know, angry and they hadn't got along or anything was that Carmen was extremely unapproachable yeah. even to his band members, that he was totally aloof, that he mm-hmm. was totally cut off from them. He paid them a salary, they did the job. And then that was it. And he was more about his career it yeah, was more okay. about his his albums, his audience, his you know big events and all that kind of stuff, which, when you think about it, we saw that a lot with pastors, yeah, right? Like that there was it was all about the performance, it was all about the the narcissism, it was all about the ego rather than really relating to people and really connecting with people. And this was the story that this guy told me. and and so this was firsthand. He had been a musician in Carmen's band, and he said, we would get ideas about you know things for the show and we knew there was no point going to him because he wasn't even going to listen to us
0: Mm, He was very set
1: on this is the way it was and this is the way it was going to be yeah so i think that is probably why carmen was such a big hit for us as as pentecostals in the 90s because he was cut from the same block as where we had come from
0: Yeah, true. And look, I I have been Googling while you've been talking, and I can confirm that he died uh, on the 16th of February this year, not last year. Um, And he did marry, but he didn't marry until he was 61. So he married in, in 2017. Then in January 2020, he announced he had cancer and the wolf, well, sorry, that it had returned because he'd had cancer previously. And he died, ironically, in Las Vegas. You were saying it was like a Las oh, Vegas showman? Yeah,
1: because he, he was a Las Vegas showman. He totally was. He was just a Christian version. Look, I, I, I don't wish, wish the guy, obviously, any ill, and I'm really sorry that he died. And also what I'm talking about with his sexuality was just rumor. You know, there was nothing that the guitarist that I met said anything about that. Yeah, I, I I wouldn't be surprised to find out that that's really where he was at. Not that there's anything wrong with that, right?
0: You you wouldn't uh, you wouldn't admit to it though in the scene, would you? So of course you had to hide it. No,
1: not not back then, not back then at all. Yeah.
0: No.
1: Okay, so we've done a lot of talking, very good. Uh, but now it's time to jump into these songs, and then we'll mm. do a bit more talking, right? Yeah. So do you want to start with your song first, B?
0: Yes, that is Steve Camp living in Laodicea is my first one that i would i would like to to introduce i want to play it people can listen to it so this is where you go to the show notes click on the link that we've got there have a bit of a listen and and listen to the, the lyrics and we'll have a little bit of a chat afterwards
1: yeah exactly right or if you can't if the link's not working for you in your app just just go into youtube or go into spotify and look up living in laodicea by steve camp so let's play this now then we'll come back and talk about it
0: So there we go, living in Laodicea. How's your so, good tea?
1: Yeah, yeah, pretty guilty. That was from, it's based on Revelation 3, right, where the, the church in Laodicea, you know, Jesus stands up or whatever he does and says, you know, you're neither hot nor cold, you're lukewarm, I spit you out of my mouth. That's that one. So nice song, nice song, good pick, B.
0: You like that one? It used to be one that I would run back to when I was feeling a bit lukewarm. And Laodicea is, for those who like to uh, know a bit of the context, Laodicea is in the modern-day Syria, and it was a very, very rich part of the world. It's actually the, the wealthiest part. It got destroyed by an earthquake, I think it was, and they were so rich that the Roman Empire offered them money to rebuild, and they went, no, nah, we got this. We can do it ourselves because we are loaded, we're cashed up and they were incredibly wealthy and incredibly independent. And I think some of the um the messages that would always come around, it was like, hey, this is what wealth and money will do, it will push you away from God. So, yes, they were lukewarm and God was spewing them out of his mouth. So I used to run back to that song when I felt like I was drifting a bit and uh, and I think in retrospect guilt myself back into it because – I didn't want to be that lukewarm person, although I, I, I always was. Let's be honest, and I think you know it. It did help me reset sometimes, and this was probably a bit of the go-to song for a couple of years. This bundled in with a bit of Keith Green guilt, um, certainly worked for me. Um, gave me a bit of rev up. Not to mention like Steve Camp. He's a beautiful artist. I saw him live, and I think he really, um, really was quite amazing. Loved his sound, but guilt written for me
1: that guy from the from Carmen's band he yep. said nothing nice about Steve Camp he said oh self-righteous arrogant you know like full-on like apparently according to him anyway Steve but he said the same thing about Carmen now that I think about it yeah but he, but he didn't like him at all he thought he was just you know too too self-righteous too. you know but you can see that right when you listen to Steve Camp's music now he was really hard on himself and oh, yeah. you know, really judgmental on himself. And then of course, you know, sort of poured that out onto others. Leo were they rich enough though to have that those eighties keyboards? Wow. That was that was pretty fucking eighties, man.
0: It was. It was. Uh, that song was sponsored by Korg. There's no yeah, I doubt. to
1: say like Korg DS7. Brought to you by <laughs> Korg DS7.
0: <laughs> well, when I saw Steve Camp, and obviously because Australia is so far from the US, he didn't bring a band or anything, and he probably because he wasn't big enough. He was only you know the venue I saw him at maybe had two, three hundred people, absolute max, and it was him, his keyboard, and a backing track. So it was um it was an interesting one, but. Look, it spoke to me. I don't listen to it now because I do not relate to it. Um, But it was hugely influential these early days and probably up until about a year or two before my musical flavour and taste started to change. Over to you, T. I reckon it's your turn for a song.
1: Yep. Well, trigger... I mean, we should have said trigger warnings before all these, but certainly trigger warning for this one because just staying with the theme of guilt... I'm going to play um, from the Keith Green Comprom- No Compromise album, which is Asleep in the Light. So go ahead, click on the link, and we'll give you a minute to do that, and then come back and we'll keep going with the podcast. All right. So you threw the guilt down with Steve Camp, and I saw that guilt and raised you with Keith Green.
0: <laughs> you did indeed.
1: Wow. I mean, what a, what a, guilt-ridden song right i mean the thing about it is you know the bit where he goes jesus rose from the grave and you you can't even get out of bed i i, I can remember i was you know my low 20s needed a whole heap more sleep than i need now mm-hmm. and i used to struggle to get out of bed in the morning and even that caused me guilt yeah right I mean, <laughs> you can't even get out of it yeah i mean that was that was <laughs> long
0: up, but you know, there's there's another side to that song which I think is a little bit of its guilt. It's heavy with guilt, but there's also a social justice side to it which I really connected with as well. Um, Jesus came to your door, you did nothing. You didn't you didn't answer. You did nothing with your time. And yes, it absolutely is guilt ridden, but um it sort of reminded me that it wasn't just about the church, which I, I quite liked. And I think it certainly gave me a nudge in that way as well.
1: Sure. Maybe again this is because I was listening to this in Great Big AOG and there really was not much mention of social justice. But I mm. always interpreted that as, you know, Jesus came to the door, but you didn't tell him you know, it wasn't about you. Didn't feed him. You didn't clothe him. You know, and and maybe that's really what Keith Green was talking about. But for me, it was it was just pure evangelism.
0: No, no, I think you're right. I, I think he was. A hardcore evangelist, but if you also looked at what he did, I mean, you've read No Compromise. Quite a few people here, I'm sure, have read No Compromise. Um, and you know, they did a lot about for housing people, um, of bringing people out of addictive lifestyles, out of violent lifestyles, all those sort of things. So I think there was an element; it was a cultish element in parts of it. But I think, um, that was also in the context of the 70s and the 80s. I think they, human and Melody, did a lot for people. Um, in a real servant's way as well.
1: Mm. Or at least tried to. The other mm. thing, I don't know if you read between the lines with Keith Green, but I think he suffered some pretty serious mental illness. I think he had a lot of depression because it, you, when you hear at the end of this song, like he does this whole guilt, 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 guilt. And I think, again, like Steve Camp, the guilt goes first at themselves. And yeah. then from that, they pour it out onto everybody else, right? It was just this, you know, this self-loathing, this you're not good enough kind of thing. But then he he, said, he finishes the song with come away, come away with me, my love. It's like this self-soothing, you know, like um, yeah, come yeah. away from this mess. Come, and it's almost like he's done this whole diatribe of, of self-loathing and judgment, but then all of a sudden it's like, oh. And, and the thing that struck me when I listened to this this time was come away from this mess. It was like I don't think he was a happy person. You know, I think he was really Really? suffering internally.
0: Yeah, look, good chance. And I I think, you know, a lot of tortured artists are quite brilliant, aren't they? He falls into that camp for me. I love Keith Green. I, I think... In terms of his talent not so much the guild stuff but his talent is incredibly talented human being and before he dedicated himself wholly and solely to christian music you know the influence that he had in the the secular world um and the songs that he wrote and the people he partnered with were just phenomenal and i think he would have been enormous had he have not come into the christian music scene
1: maybe i don't know there's a lot of people that are out there that are you know extremely gifted and they don't quite get discovered and i wonder if if he would have been one of those because you read his book and there were so many almosts and he never quite got there and then then he sort of, you know, launched in the Christian scene. But I can remember there was a um like a tribute album released in the 90s and a whole heap of, yes. you know, very famous Christians got together and Christian artists and put out this album. And I remember I was in the car with Pastor B once and yeah. Sleep in the Light was actually done by Michael Card. And mm-hmm. Pastor B had this album playing in his car and he said, oh, when I get to this song, I just have to skip it. And speaking about asleep and and I remember sitting there being holier than now and judgmental as all fuck, and just sitting there going, "Yep, I believe that." And this is why this is this is the problem with your church, sitting there thinking in my mind, um because I used to get really frustrated with coffee and chat and home group Bible studies and all this, and people just weren't interested in what was going on on the outside. and so there's there's two sides to that, right? On the one hand, there's the judgmental, horrific, you know, critical shit, you know, who I wasn't even happy with myself and I'm out there pouring it out onto other people, much like these artists, and that's probably why I, I related to them. But on the other side, there's that so, whole social justice thing as there was these little clubs and people weren't interested in giving. They weren't interested in helping. They weren't interested in supporting. And I know you and I, when we were doing that street work, remember we'd bring some of these street kids in and the way that they were treated by people in the church, I was like, hold on, what happened here? This isn't the message, you know.
0: But they were physically moved from the front of the church to be put up the back where uh, they couldn't be seen or heard. But there's Keith. We do love a bit of Keith.
1: Yeah, even still. But I, I can't listen to him much. He, he's not on my playlist because it's it's too no. explicit and it's too guilt-ridden and, and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I don't even believe it anymore and it's still – pushes my buttons and even listening to it then i gotta say i was triggering a little bit right so apologies if that did that to anybody else listening in but uh yeah it's a story to be told i guess yeah definitely this next one is uh petra it's from the beyond belief album which was john whatever his name was when he joined the band this was his first album they got a lot heavier they got a lot more sort of dare i say sort of nickelbackish not that nickelback existed but it was that kind of sound and this one is called creed right so it's sort of a, a going back to the apostles creed i think it is and and they sort of set that to music a little bit so stop us go and look, go away and listen to this and then come back and we'll talk about it all right so how was that i mean rock on motherfuckers that's just you know, and could you believe that kind of music was at one time offensive and controversial to Christians that this was like the wrong thing to do? And of you know, I yeah. mean that's what ninety one or you know, maybe even a little bit earlier.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. That Petra was Petra was my first Christian album I ever got. I'm pretty sure it was Petra on Fire, the one with the sword on fire on the, yeah, yeah. the front. With the first oh, lead singer. Was. What says dedicated Christian war? Than a sword on fire, so I got that one, and I think it was because it was a little bit controversial and it was a little bit um, on the edge that I bought that. But yeah, had, had that song. Tell me about how does it speak to you and how did it speak to you?
1: oh well. For me, then, it was just an affirmation. It was like I was talking about before, an affirmation of the of my beliefs. A big part of it, though, was just the ability to rock on. You know, yep. world class. I mean, listen to that voice, right? And listen to that to to the mix and to the sound. I mean, it was just it was just absolutely brilliant, and I loved it.
0: Petra were one of those bands I tried to like, and I think I yeah probably early on I went okay, I've got to like this, and I liked it, but I never really got into them that much in that genre for me it was probably a bit more white heart which was slightly softer but never really got into it. it's like mates who got into christian death metal it's an interesting genre i never i never connected i never got
1: there yeah yeah no i i loved good fucking heavy shit i really enjoyed it still do still do to this day i'm, I'm quite happy to put iron maiden on when i drive for sure all right mate last song right. do you last want to song. introduce this one
0: yeah, so this is one for me, it was probably, um, I, I started thinking a bit more about social justice through, you know, work with street kids and T and I spoken about before and this song sort of came around that time for me, I think it was maybe 93, 94 somewhere around there from memory, and this is uh, John Dixon. Her John Dixon used to be one of the lead singers of In the Silence, which was an Australian Christian band, and John went solo after they split, and this was, I'm pretty sure it was his first album, Maranuka, and Maranuka in uh, a specific Aboriginal dialect means friend, but let's play it, have a bit of a listen, and I'll tell you about what it meant for me and what it did for me.
1: Cool. Okay, dear listener, you go away and play this, and we'll be back to talk about it in a minute.
0: So there we are, Maranuka, which means friend. Um, for this song, this really connected me. I, I think with the social justice side of things. So, Daniel Matthews was a um a missionary back in the mid eighteen hundreds on the Victoria and New South Wales border. He um it, and obviously this is it's within the context of the time. So if this were to happen now, it absolutely would be completely unacceptable. And back then it shouldn't have happened too, but it did. It was a different way. So Daniel Matthews really um, embedded himself within Aboriginal culture and um, the space in the mid-1800s to a point where he was actually going to Sydney quite often and advocating for Aboriginal tribes who were dispossessed of their land um, and who were basically detribalised, is the word that they used back then. So he, what he did was, of his own land, from what I understand, he gave up 20 acres to be able to give a reserve and a place to local Aboriginal families to be able to have a place they could call their own. And after lobbying, he ended up securing, I think it was 1,800 acres or 2,000 acres along the Murray River, which runs between Victoria and New South Wales, around Barma, the um, town there, the Barma Forest. And that was given to the people back then, which was fairly unprecedented. I mean, reserves were set up back then to basically... Heard in Aboriginal people to keep them away from white populations and squatter populations. But this was different. It was done through really that lens of social justice and a recognition of dispossession of lands and a racist agenda by governments in Australia.
1: Were you listening to this whilst in Pentecostalism or did this happen a little bit later or?
0: No, it was within Pentecostalism. And and for me, um, this was, was some of the disconnect, which just didn't sit comfortably with me. And it was this sort of music that I was listening to that, which led me out in part to be able to, to I guess, reconcile it in, you know, social justice for me was something that was really growing within me at the time. And, you know, to a point where now it's central to my profession, which I get paid for. But even back then, I got it and I got what he was talking about. And Daniel Matthews had copped a fair bit of criticism for being a racist and this and that. But he was really ahead of the curve um, in terms of fighting for the rights of Aboriginal people in Australia um, when it wasn't popular. And he was ostracised for that and most certainly was um, not seen in a favourable light as a missionary. And even though a lot of missionaries, I think, cared for people and they wanted to provide healthcare education and a place, it was done to convert them and it was done to bring them to white man's ways. Whereas from what I understand, Daniel Matthews was a point of difference on that where he actually wanted to retain some of those traditional ways for Aboriginal people.
1: As a Pentecostal, who would yep. you talk to about this? Because because I'm listening to this and I'm thinking, like, I get it now, 100%, yep. and let's celebrate it. But when I was hardcore Pentecostal, this wouldn't have even made my radar. And if it did, I would have just let it go to the keeper. Who who were you talking to about this? Who were who you relating to uh, this with?
0: Probably at the time, my wife who we were just dating at the time because she had come from a bit of an alternative scene and didn't really fit neatly within the Pentecostal space, got this stuff. So I think it was probably her. No one else really within Friendship Group would have got it. And when I moved to another church, when I left Pentecostalism, they got it and it was very social justice focused, which is probably what led me into that space because I knew that I would be able to process this stuff that was coming up for me.
1: Mm. Cause I, I know that, you know, later on in my Church of Christ time, I probably would have said, Yeah, man, let's let's listen, you know, triple J, yada yada, that's what it was back then for me. In the in the AOG times, no way no way would I have, you know, I would have had a conversation with you about this, but I wouldn't have listened to the music. I would have just thought, nah, that's not spiritual enough. You know, that's talking about things that, you know, are of this world and higher purpose and all that. Did you wrestle with that in yourself when listening to this? Or were you like, nah, this matters. This is true. This is true.
0: I don't remember ever wrestling with it. I remember it sitting comfortably with me and it was probably one of the things, you know, as I've spoken about many times, I always felt an unease with that evangelistic side and uh, Jesus, Jesus, God, God, and um, ignoring the person within that space. So I think for me, this connected me, this made sense and it connected a Christian belief with something that definitely was about justice and it was about people.
1: Yeah, very good, very good. I mean, that just shows the growth, right? And it just shows that the seeds of where you are now were were even there when you were young. Yeah, very, very mm-hmm. good. I, I wish I could say the same, definitely later on, but, but certainly not in my AOG time, so, so hats off to you. We're at the end of time. Hopefully yeah. those of you that have played along um, have enjoyed that. if you if you skipped over the songs and it didn't quite connect, maybe go back and have a little bit of a listen to the songs and and then and then the conversation. But entirely up to you, dear listener. Next week B, we have a very, very special episode with um, Tara Jean Stevens, who is the producer and host of the Heaven Bent podcast. I know you're excited about this one.
0: I'm super excited. I am a bit of a Tara Jean fanboy. I did love her podcast, so if if people uh, have the opportunity, go and listen to a couple of episodes before next week, because I think it'll help in understanding Tara Jean a bit more. But we're going to we're going to poke and prod away and f- find out a bit more about Tara Jean, who she is as a person, but also some of that stuff that was embedded within her uh, series one and series two of Heaven Bent as well.
1: Yeah, her teenage fundamentalism past will be really interesting to sort of Unpack, but also the whole Toronto blessing. Because you know, you and I have talked that that was really impactful on on us, but in very mm. different ways. So this is what season one of her podcast is all about: the Toronto blessing, which is very much our '90s Pentecostalism. The other thing that's going to happen next week, we're going to have an announcement uh, next week about how you can support the podcast. We're sort of mm. at a place now where we want to expand a little bit, where we want to get some more advertising out and stuff. So we're going to we're going to have something to announce next week about how you can support the podcast, but. Again, I want to really stress that if you want to listen, and and that's what that's all your engagement wants to be, hundred percent, we're fine with that. We don't want to um trigger anyone by passing the offering bag, um, no. but we'll we'll announce that next week, won't we? All about what we're going to do in that space. Anything yeah. you want to say, B, before we before we wrap for this season two, episode one.
0: Thank you for listening, everyone. It's been a longer episode. We thought we'd come out charging out of the gates with a longer episode for season one, but music deserves it in my opinion i love music as as we've said a 100 times i love it i love it
1: yeah indeed so speaking of music let's cue the um the ek- extra music we hit the intro let's do the extra music and enjoy that as we go and we'll see you all next week folks for i was a teenage fundamentalist